1: encouraging sermon and a very um, practical, that's what I should say, a very practical sermon we're going to take a look at today. Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 1, if you're looking at it, say amen. In verse 1 through 3, God, who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the Father's How did he speak, saints? By the prophets. He has in these last days spoken to us by who? His Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, When he had by himself purged all things, then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Interesting, Hebrews tells us, in latter days, God spoke through prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken uh, to us through his own son, Jesus. And because saints listen, because God has spoken to us through Jesus, then we are to listen to every word that comes out of his mouth. If you agree with that, please say amen. Amen. Today in our text, Jesus is going to talk to us about the kingdom. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we pick up in verse 20. Jesus, very practical, talking to us, and we ought to listen, about the kingdom and basically, if you're taking notes, Jesus makes two very simple pointed statements about the kingdom, how to make sure you're a part of it, number one, and secondly, how not to miss out on it, how to make sure you're a part of it, and how not to miss out on it. My sermon title today, The Message of the Kingdom, Luke chapter 6, verse 20. If you're looking at it, say amen. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you. And when they exclude you and when they revile you and when they cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for indeed your reward is great in heaven for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe in verse 24. Are you with me to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full. For you shall be hungry, and woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the prophets. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. If you were here, I want to say, well, if you were here last week, we were talking about suicide. And I don't know that there's ever been uh, a sermon preached from this pulpit that seemed to have more reverberation throughout the entire church. Were you here last week? And if you were not here last week, perhaps you might want to pick up the CD, maybe not for you, but maybe for a friend. I think uh, God had something to say, so we said it last week. And then the week prior, if you were with us, you know that we learned that Jesus had gone into the hill country to pray, and while Jesus was praying, uh, he was directed by the Father in whom to choose to be his disciples. And as I said, I'm sure when God gave him the list of disciples, Jesus probably went back to prayer. He was probably thinking, Lord, are you sure? And the names were given, we talked about them. Simon, the 12, Simon called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, John, the son of Alphaeus, Simon Simon, called Zelotes, or the zealot. And Judas Iscariot. This was the name of the lineup of the disciples that God chose. And I really believe that with this list of men and with these list of names, Jesus was trying to prove to us. Are you listening? Jesus was trying to prove to us what Paul said when he said that God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Looking at this, you can say a better amen than that. Looking at this list of disciples, And we looked at the names and some pointed things about each of them last time. If you didn't take anything away from that sermon, the one thing you could take away from that sermon is God can, if God can use these 12, God can use anybody. Well, I just don't know. I don't have anything to give to God. I can't be used of God. I, I'm just a low life. I'm just so low. I play wall ball with the curb. I just don't know. God can't use me. You know, some people are like that. They're self-loathing. Well, listen, there was nothing special about the disciples. And if God can use them, God can use anybody. That ought to be encouraging to you, Notice in verse 20, Jesus is going to give them what sounds much like, as we just read it, if you know your Bibles, doesn't verse 20 through verse 23 sound much like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5? Sounds very much like that. Now, many scholars believe that this is not the Sermon on the Mount. Some believe it is, but some believe it is not. Let me give you the reasons why some scholars believe this is not the Sermon on the Mount. If you're taking notes, there are actually four pointed differences between this sermon and the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had not yet chosen the 12. They weren't chosen until Matthew chapter 10. Another reason is one sermon takes place on the mountain, thus we call it the Sermon on the Mount mount, and this sermon takes place on level ground. How do you know that, Rodney? In the same chapter in verse 17, it tells us that Jesus, look at verse 17, go ahead and peek at it, Jesus stood on a level place. Hmm? And then another reason why many believe that this is not the Sermon on the Mount, because it was preached to the disciples. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount was preached to the disciples, and this sermon is preached to the crowd. And then fourthly, the sermon, some believe that this is not the Sermon on the Mount, because the Sermon on the Mount was longer. The Sermon on the Mount was chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. This sermon is very short. It seems like this is the same sermon, but just kind of abbreviated. Don't you know, it's very common, listen, it's very common for preachers to preach the same sermon, but maybe abbreviated or maybe changed a little bit. I do quite a bit of guest speaking from time to time. And when I go to various places, I'll preach a sermon that I've preached here because they haven't heard it already. I tell the same jokes that I tell here because they haven't heard them already. And when I tell them there, they laugh. <laughs> I actually have a lot more fun in other people's church than I do here. Because I've told all my jokes here and now I'm actually recycling jokes. I'm at the, I've been doing this for 14 years, y'all. So I'm at the point of recycling jokes. And now y'all don't laugh anymore. So I have to use them because I enjoy my recycled jokes. And so I do them in other churches. And they laugh and people enjoy them. So it's not very uncommon for a preacher to preach the same sermon, only different in a different location. That is what I believe that Jesus is doing here. I do not believe that this is the Sermon on the Mount for the various reasons that i just given you. Keep in mind, we talked about the fame of Jesus is spreading and people are following him because of the demonstration of power. People are being healed. Virtue is leaving him and people are touching him and demons are being cast out. And there's a big crowd of people we talked about the last time. There's a big crowd of people following sick people and lepers and Pharisees and Sadducees. And people are following Jesus for different reasons. Some people were curious and some people were convinced and some people were committed. Can I ask you something? Can I ask you to do something right now in your mind In your heart, let me ask you to do something. You think within yourself and ask the Lord to shine a searchlight on your heart. Why is it that you follow Jesus? Why do you follow him? Are you curious? Are you convinced? Or are you committed? You know, people follow Jesus. You need to write that down. That's good. Are you curious? Are you convinced? Or are you committed? You know, there's a lot of people that follow Jesus because they're curious. There's a lot of people. Did you know there's a lot of people who come to this church and they they come here every Sunday, maybe even every Wednesday faithfully for years because they're curious and they don't give their life to Jesus for many, many years. I've even made the mistake of thinking that they were saved because they had been here for so many years. I thought, man, surely you're a Christian by now. And then they tell me they, were, they weren't a Christian. Or I've, I see them at baptism and they come out in the water and they say, I just gave my life to Jesus on Wednesday. I'm like, what? You've been at Calvary Chapel for 13 years? You just gave your life to Jesus? Yeah, because they've been curious all that time. Why do you follow Jesus? Why, saints, listen, why do you follow Jesus? Are you curious? Are you convinced? Or are you committed? People follow him for various reasons. Notice in verse 12 again, Jesus lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and he presented them with four blessings and three woes. Four blessings and and three woes. Number one, in verse 20, are you looking at it? If you're looking at it, say amen. He said, blessed are you poor. Now listen, the word blessed, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. The word blessed means, oh, how happy. Or it means, oh, how fortunate. Blessed implies inner satisfaction that does not depend on outward circumstances. Did you hear me? Blessed implies inward satisfaction that does not depend on outward circumstances. In other words, this blessing was so concrete that no matter what your circumstances were, it couldn't be moved. You were still blessed. Did you know the word blessed is used 302 times in the Bible and in various forms, 513 times. In the Hebrew language, the word blessed is Baruch. Baruch, B-A-R-A-U-C-H. B-A-R-A-U-C-H. That's the Hebrew word for blessed. In the Jewish synagogue, you will hear people say, Baruch Hashem Adonai Elohim. Baruch Hashem Adonai Elohim, which simply means blessed is the name of the Lord. In a messianic fellowship, a messianic fellowship is a church where Jewish Christians attend. They call that a messianic fellowship. In a messianic fellowship, you will hear them say Baruch Hashem Adonai Elohim Yeshua HaMashiach which means blessed be the name of the Lord God, Jesus, our Messiah. Saints, listen to me. I don't care what your circumstances, please hear me. I don't care what your circumstances are. You are blessed. Uh, You need to clap your hands. Would you do that? Because that's true. I don't care what the economy looks like. I don't care what your circumstances are. Don't care if your husband left you, if your wife left you, if your kids left you. Praise the Lord. I don't care what. I don't care what your circumstances are. We are blessed. Jesus says in verse 20, blessed are the poor. And listen, let me tell you right out the gate. Jesus isn't saying it's a blessing to be poor like poor like in I don't have any money I don't know many people who consider it a blessing to be poor now if you consider it a blessing to be poor then you must love this economy I don't know many people who consider it a blessing to be poor at the same time there are some Christians who believe that poverty is a sign of spirituality and a guarantee into the kingdom anybody know anybody like that Poverty is a sign of spirituality and a guarantee into the kingdom. Some people believe that. Now, we need to understand in the Greek language, there are two words for poor. One means, listen, to be short on cash, to be living day to day, paycheck to paycheck, which is most of us. That's one version of poor. The other means, this is the one you want to be concerned with, you have nothing at all. You are empty and totally destitute. You are lost, spiritually bankrupt, and spiritual poverty. And in spiritual poverty, being poor in spirit is not going around saying, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, I'm worthless. Being poor in spirit is, is what you experience when you encounter God. Did you hear that? Being poor in spirit, it reminds me of Isaiah when he encountered God. What did he say? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I tell you what, when you encounter God and and you fall, you'll fall on your face before God, by the way. You know, I, I hear people all the time. My, my glasses are dirty. I'm sorry. It's true. I'm sorry, I actually wrote this part in the end of my sermon. They are, that's why I can't keep them on. Um, You know, there are people who write books and they write, uh, do CDs and talk about when they encountered God and how they stood and talked to God and God gave them a message and all of these things and how they just stood there and worshipped before the throne and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you something. We don't see that in the scripture. What we see in the scripture, when people really encounter God, God says, like Moses, take off your shoes. You are standing in the presence of the Holy One. To Isaiah, he said, get on your face. Woe is me. That's what comes to you. When you get in the presence of God, what happens is you start to understand that you are in a place of spiritual poverty. You're in a place of spiritual poverty. You're destitute. You're nothing before God. Where is it that we're getting this in our culture that we're everything? Some people make themselves more than God. Nowadays, people are amazing. Don't y'all know God is holy? Don't you know God is not like you? God is not the man upstairs. He's not, God is not on your level. I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. Would you do that? That's a little better. God is not on your level. When you get in front of God, you understand. Any Christian understands that in the presence of God, there is spiritual poverty. That we, we're destitute. We, we are impoverished. We are poor. We have nothing to offer God. You know, I was thinking about my spiritual poverty. I'm in the line of Harris Teeter on Friday. This is true. I'm in the line of Harris Teeter on Friday, and I really had a sense of spiritual poverty. Because this lady in front of me was taking a really super long time to write her checkout. And I, honestly, I, I'm just a sinner. Y'all don't judge me. Pray for me. But I'm looking at this lady thinking, why is she doing this to me? God, strike her down. And then I was like, oh man, I, that's how I know I'm impoverished. I'm spiritually in poverty. Or you know you're in spiritual poverty. All you got to do is get out there on that 40 driving behind somebody who's going really, really slow. We're all in the place of spiritual poverty, bankrupt and sinful. And Jesus said, you are blessed if you are in the place of being poor. Understand something, saints. This is a radical teaching in Jesus' day, and it's a radical teaching in our day. Because the world's message and the world's philosophy is very different. The world's philosophy is know thine own self and to your own self be true. The world's philosophy is when you find life, you find yourself. Jesus says when you seek him, you find life. The world tells you, look, if you are poor in spirit, you're a wimp. The world tells you, if you want to succeed in life, you got to force your way. The world tells you, he who dies with the most toys wins. My question is, wins what? When you're dead, you're dead. And when you're dead, you ain't taking none of it with you. You've never seen a... pulling a (laughs) u-haul anybody know what i'm talking about okay but that's what the world says the world says blessed are the movers and shakers and the powerful and the prominent the world tells you the way up is up but the word says the way up is down the world tells you to do whatever is necessary to have life but the word tells you if you want to save your life then lose it and you will find it And I'm afraid that the Christians and the church saints, listen, are buying into the world's philosophy. There's so much teaching on you're blessed when you are succeeding and wealthy. Jesus says you're most blessed when you realize that you are poor in spirit. And then if you add Matthew chapter 5, remember, it's something like this same sermon. Matthew 5 says, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. God will take the totally destitute person who puts their trust in him and make them a part of the kingdom. And then in verse 21, again, go ahead and peek at it. Blessed are those who are hungry now. So this tells me that there are a lot of blessed people in this room right now. Are you hungry now? A lot of blessed people. She said, yes. Yes. <laughs> In other words, listen, blessed are those who are hungry to know God. Blessed are those who are hungry to be used by God. Blessed are those in verse 21 who weep. In Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. This word weep or this word mourn, if you're taking notes, means or it speaks of a deep, intense anguish and brokenness over sin, a deep, intense anguish and brokenness over sin. It means to stop and take a hard look at your life and say, I'm spiritually bankrupt and I need to grieve over the sin in my life. In other words, watch this. Jesus is simply saying here, happy are the unhappy. Hmm, happy are the unhappy. You know, it was David who wrote in Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for life. Weeping may endure. Don't you love this verse? Weeping may endure. Somebody help me. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Happy are the unhappy. Life is filled with sorrow. But Paul wrote in Romans eight eighteen. For I consider the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in him. Happy are the unhappy because someday we will be happy. Look at verse 22. Blessed are those who hate you and when they exclude you from their company and revile you and cast your name out as evil for whose sake for jesus sake for god's sake listen this is this is a good plaque verse isn't it it's good plaque material and good to hang on your wall but it's hard to live i gotta be honest i'm not good at any of this any of this that jesus is talking about i'm not good at it jesus is saying rejoice and leap for joy when people talk about me laughing when I'm in pain and in sorrow, being hungry and knowing that I'm going to be filled. And now he's telling me that when men hate me, I am blessed. And don't be mad when people exclude me as a Christian. I'm not good at any of this. Now, listen, when you're walking with the Lord, again, very practical. Listen, when you're walking with the Lord, and you're really walking with God, I'm only talking to people who are really walking with the Lord. When you are walking with the Lord, don't expect to get invited to the party. Is that helpful? Because you won't be invited to the party when you're really walking to the Lord because you're a bummer. Isn't that good to take away from church? It's like, go home. What did you learn today, honey? I'm a bummer. You're a bummer. If you're a Christian, you're a bummer. Why? Because you don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. When you're around people, they can't swear like they want to or drink like they want to or get high like they want to. When you come to the party, people go, oh, here comes Mr. or Mrs. Christian. Here comes the Jesus person. And they mock you and they exclude you.